I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. It was your birthday this week. It was. I worked a very long day on my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that has to happen. It does. It does. And I'm not great about planning ahead for my birthday and making sure that I'm off or that I have something really awesome planned. I need to be better about that. Were your birthdays really celebrated for you when you were a kid? Not in a big way. My birthday falls around Thanksgiving in the United States. And sometimes it falls right on Thanksgiving. And sometimes it's the week of or the week after. And so it usually got lopped on top of Thanksgiving. So we would celebrate Thanksgiving and then our dessert would be birthday cake. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that that has something to do with the fact that you don't prioritize your own birthday when it comes? Yes, for sure. I don't. And I need to be better about that. When I was young, my household was very busy. I had a sibling that was chronically ill. And so my parents were very busy caring for him. And it would have been difficult to add on a big birthday party or have a bunch of little kids in the house or travel and carpool with a bunch of kids. So it just never really transpired. And I think that kind of led into my adulthood. I just never really made it a big deal. I wasn't used to having big birthday parties. And I am not used to having big birthday parties now. Mm-hmm. This is so much a part of the work that we do, actually, because we're all overcoming some of what we learned in our original family systems that maybe when we think about it, doesn't serve us now, doesn't serve the life that we want to create. True. True. I have this idea for my 50th birthday party and maybe putting it out into the world now will hold me accountable to making those plans. Um, But I have this grand idea of for my 50th birthday, I want to be in Paris Mm -hmm. for my 50th birthday. Okay. Uh, You heard it here. So you, (laughs) you will be accountable to that. And this year was 48, right? This year was 48. Okay, but I think even next year at 49, there needs to be at least a day off planned. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Even just taking the day off work would be a step in the right direction, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And I know that lots of love came your way. Absolutely. And I don't want it to sound like my birthday was a a damp, dark, dreary day because it wasn't. I, I received so many messages and texts and little video clips and cards and, you know, friends reaching out that I hadn't heard of, heard from for a while. And so it was really, even though I was at work all day, it was really a special day. And I was very touched um, and felt very grateful for my birthday. That's the good part about social media when it's your birthday, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Everyone gets a reminder that every yeah. single friend in Facebook or Instagram, I, well, I guess mostly Facebook gets a reminder that today is your birthday. Yeah. So when you got around to celebrating, which I think was yesterday, what did you end up doing? It was very rainy here in central Ohio. And we had a thunderstorm, which is unusual for December. So I actually spent it at home with my husband and my new grandbaby daughter. Oh, oh that sounds like a beautiful day. <laughs> it was. It was really nice. And my um, two grandsons came over and... Um, It was just really special. It was when I get to spend time with my granddaughter and my two grandsons and my daughters, it just makes me really grateful for my life. You know, that this is my legacy and I wouldn't have wanted to spend it any other way. This is something that I know about you. What brings you true joy is spending time with your grandkids. There's something special about grandchildren and, and I know people say it and It's the same when I had my children that nobody could ever tell me what it was going to be like until I was in it. And the same thing is true with grandchildren. 
nobody could have really told me what it was going to be like being around them until I actually had my own grandchildren. And I just adore them. They can do no wrong. They get whatever they want. Um, I just think that they are little angels walking on earth. um, And I'm just madly in love with them. Everybody deserves to have a love like that. So I'm so mm-hmm. I'm so happy for your grandkids, Amy. Yeah, thank yeah. you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you got a day like that. And now this is the second podcast where you've mentioned that you reside in Ohio. And really, for our listeners, this is a true union, this podcast of both yoga and Ayurveda, but also of two neighboring countries, because each week you're coming from Columbus, and I am recording this from Vancouver, British Columbia. Yes. And as close as our relationship is, it's I forget that you are on the other side of the country in a different country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> U.S. and Canada coming together on the Radiant Warrior podcast. I love it. Yes. But I've spent so many years living in the U.S. as well. Our daughter was born there. And she was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And when we lived in San Diego. We lived there for so many years that we wanted our right to vote. And we also wanted to be citizens of the U.S. as our daughter is. So we became citizens when we were living in San Diego. So another form of union there. I am a citizen of both Canada and the U.S. So you grew up in Canada. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about growing up in Canada? Um, You were born there. Yeah, I was born in Vancouver, which is the city that I live in now, although we've just been back for a few years. We moved away when I was in grade five. And I know that in this episode, we're going to share about uh, my journey with disordered anxiety. And I think that that move, when I look back at these key elements of my childhood, was one of the areas where my natural confidence started to erode and I, I became more of a nervous individual. What I know now about anxiety and how it can move into panic and how it can move into disorder is that it can be hereditary, which I believe in my case it is. It can also be, um, well, it is a disorder of the nervous system, which can happen because of the way we treat ourselves and lifestyle choices and check, check for me. It can also come on because of living on the edge of our seats and the lens that we view our life through. When I look back at my childhood when I was very small, I look back and there was there was happiness and there was love. And I look back on this very bright, confident, you know, firstborn child. And then I look back on these key moments in my development where I know that some of that natural audaciousness was chipped away. And that move, even though I can't say that I have any regrets or that I hold anybody accountable for my journey, that move sticks out to me as a time in my life where I started to learn to be afraid. When I was in Vancouver, I remember having a really tight-knit friend group and was still very much a child. And then we moved to a smaller town and, you know, no judgment on small towns whatsoever. But just speaking about my experience, it was such a culture shock. And the community of kids that I became a part of, my peers, were into lifestyles that were very foreign to me and very grown up. My new peers there were into teenager activities. Everybody was going out with each other and some people were smoking and kissing and I felt so out of place. I started to feel nervous all the time and I felt forced into situations that I didn't feel ready for. And I think that some of us, we meet situations in our lives and we have more resilience towards perhaps fitting in with a crowd or people pleasing. And when I look back, unfortunately, I can admit that I didn't seem to have that. And then In that town, I continued to be faced with some memorable marker moments that continued to erode this natural confidence of mine. It was like there was two tracks running in my mind. There was this audacious, uh, courageous, willful, independent being who was moving forth in her childhood and in her teen years with bravery, like doing things like 
um, going up to becoming president of the student council and loving to have lots of friends and be very outgoing and social. But then there was this other part of me that nobody could see on the inside. And I know that a lot of us have this where I was just never feeling confident in that I was liked and I was worrying a lot about being disliked and I was worrying a lot about how I was showing up and what I was saying and that inner tape started to take over the worry about how I was seen and the shape-shifting of myself in order to be seen in a certain way. Then one of the most memorable moments in the story of my growing up was some pretty intense bullying that happened in that town. I remember that girls, like they can be, were just vicious with one another. And I remember a few instances where I felt afraid for my life. I remember being confronted in the main vestibule of my junior high school and by a a girl that I felt very intimidated by. She was very, very strong and just laid into me using language that I wasn't really using yet, you know, calling me every name in the book. And I remember being surrounded by a lot of the student body and nobody stepped in. You know, everybody was afraid of this girl. And then being called in the middle of the night, you know, this was before social media and phones, thank goodness, but being, you know, my my house phone ringing in the middle of the night and getting up and picking it up. And whether it was me answering it or my parents, the voice on the other end was saying, if Lisa goes to school tomorrow, she's dead. And mm. there was actually a lot of... Um, There was a lot of teen suicides in my town when I was growing up, including a a couple of other girls that were really terrorized that I knew in my friend group. So when I look back at the story of how my growing up contributed to finally ending up with that first panic attack that sort of changed everything, there are some marker moments that I can recognize started to turn me into somebody who on the inside anyway, was this trembling mass of nerves, even if it didn't look like that on the outside. And I think the non-congruence between the two was also very challenging for me. I mean, such formidable years and to have such a terrifying experience listening to you talk about it, I can just almost feel that terror of not like your safety's in question, you know, are you going to get out of this alive? And then to have that continual person continually come after you, even invading your space of your home, calling in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And the strange thing was, is the adults, there was a lot of messages to me that everybody gets bullied and that just means they're jealous. So there was a lot of that minimizing. And of course, we learn now in parenting how important it is to be reflecting back to your child that you hear them and that they're really met with um, their experience and their experience is acknowledged and affirmed. But because it was minimized and normalized, I, I didn't know I didn't know what to do. So I just continue to hide how afraid I was. And and in the meantime, you know, I think that one of the other contributors to having a vulnerable psyche to anxiety and, and I don't hold any resentment or blame, but we all end up in the family system that we end up in. Just at you know, the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about part of your family system and, and how you end up having to overcome part of that as you grow up. That's our path. And in mine, there was also an element of fearfulness of not upsetting um, one of the members of my family. And I completely understand all of that now as an adult and the stress that was being felt by that parental figure. But that was also going on at home. So there was this low-grade fear of upsetting somebody at home and this high-grade fear of upsetting many people For a good two years in a row, most days I was afraid to walk in the hall on my own or wait for the bus on my own. I was very intimidated by a specific group of girls. And now, of course, with my adult brain, I can look back and I can imagine that 
every single one of them was in pain and you know nobody was nobody was bad nobody was evil but that that is part of my story that caused me to feel a lot of shame because my reaction was not to feel like a victim and strangely what i've discovered is that my action was well if they were calling me all these names and if they thought that i was so awful and wrong and bad well they must be right this is this is what I had internalized. Not to paint my childhood and my teenagehood out in big negative strokes, but if I'm going to talk about these traumas with the small T that caused me to eventually find yoga because it was getting to rock bottom when it came to chronic panic attacks that finally brought me into a yoga room. So feeling very unsafe, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Especially after the move. In my memory, anyway, life felt very secure and rooted before we moved. And then once we moved, right at around age nine, things started to feel untethered. And I remember feeling, even as I grew up, I moved out of the house when I was 18. I remember feeling like I didn't have a home. It's taken me a long time to feel rooted and to feel you know, at home in my body and at home wherever I am. But for a long time, I didn't feel like I really had that home base. So listening to you talk about your experience in junior high and that that sense of fear and not feeling safe, I could feel that in my body as you were talking and having experiences like that in my own life in junior high and high school and having a similar experience that you did with the adults around you, not creating that sense of safety and how that has lasted through, you know, my adult life and become a part of me, like an arm, um, (laughs) you know, having that sense of not feeling safe and not really knowing where to go for safety. Mm -hmm. Um, I can totally relate to that story deeply. So I appreciate you sharing that in such detail. You and I are great friends and we travel together and we teach together. And I don't think I've ever heard you tell that story with such um, depth or detail before. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it's been a while since I really let myself go back and feel it. And it's, it is a part of me, but just like we'll, we'll teach to our, our students and those who talk to me about anxiety it's important that I remember that that is just a small part of who I am. You know, we're all more than anxiety and especially these days. And, and I notice this with my daughter and, and her friend group. Once we think we have anxiety, it's so easy to define ourselves as having this brokenness. And then that's what we are. We have anxiety. And so our entire existence is just defined in that way. What helped you start to feel a little bit safer in your life when you were feeling that way in junior high? I think for me, it has been, a, you know, like you shared, many, many years of seeking and searching. And I don't think was able to identify it as feeling unsafe or identify it as anxiety or fear until well into my adulthood um, because you know, because the adults kind of painted this picture that this is life, this is what you have to deal with. These are, you must get along with your, your classmates or your family or the people around you. So very normalizing the behaviors going on around me, um, making it seem like it was my fault Mm -hmm. um, for not being able to deal with it or that the onus was put on me to fix things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is one of the key drivers in why I was also seeking something. I didn't know what it was. Um, I thought it was healthcare, you know, to help others. I thought that would pacify this longing in me or this need in me. And that did for a little while, but then still having that seeking, then seeking out Ayurveda and seeking yoga and really coming to my mat in yoga practice and finding that that place inside of me that felt like home, you know, that place inside of me that was safe, that my own container 
for lack of a better word, that I could create for myself, even when the world was, you know, spinning wildly out of control. How did you find yourself in a yoga room? How did that transition happen? After I left home, I went to broadcasting school and I actually went into radio, which is so interesting because <laughs> I I was very fearful on one hand and had such anxiety around how I was seen and if I was saying the right thing. The contents of my mind were constantly, what are they thinking? What can I do to please this person? And what can I do to be liked? What can I do to be taken care of. I've always been drawn to these careers that are a little bit shiny. Part of me wants to hide completely, and then part of me wants to be seen. I got my first job in radio pretty quickly after graduating from broadcasting school, and I started doing the news, and then I graduated to um, being an on-air announcer. That just fit my personality a little bit more. And I moved a lot then as well. I moved from town to town and city to city. And in one of the cities that I worked at, I was given a midday shift. And I think I was 22 years old. So I was the youngest person, I believe, in, in my city that was on air. And I loved what I did, but I was nervous every single time I turned on the microphone. Anxiety happens because the nervous system gets really taxed. The nervous system is in its fight or flight mode so much more often than you're in a relaxation response. And that was definitely the case for me. Not sleeping very well, eating at odd hours, staying up really late, really burning the candle at both ends. And I think a, a lot of people do that in their 20s. And for whatever reason, I didn't have the resilience around a lot of things, including meetings with program directors that would scare me. I wouldn't sleep. I'd be trembling. The first real panic attack happened in that city. Something had happened at work over the weekend, and my, my program director left me a letter in the control room that was punishing me for dropping a song. And he said that we were going to talk about it on the next workday. And so I just... I just worried and fretted all weekend long and in between coping with that by numbing myself out, by going out with friends and having several beer and so not sleeping. And on that Sunday before the Monday that we were supposed to have this meeting that I was so afraid of, I felt pretty hungover, which for those of us who feel like we get a bit of a respite from anxiety through abusing substances, through drinking or drugs. Yeah, in the moment, they're helpful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and we're, we're doing what we have to do in order to survive. That's the way that I look back at that time in my life. Because when I had a beer, that was probably the only time that I wasn't sweating buckets and trembling profusely. It was, mm -hmm. it was the only time that I felt like I could even slightly reunite with the confident side of me. But it's so easy to go overboard, and I did. And on that Sunday before the meeting, I felt really hungover, and that came with a lot of paranoia and extra trembling and extra perspiration. I just felt like I couldn't even be in my body. And no matter what I did, no matter what coping mechanism I did, no matter what I ate or drank, I just could not calm down. And finally, night came, and I laid down trying to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, my heart just started beating to a degree that I didn't even know a heart could beat that fast. Okay. And you're, you're an emergency room nurse, mm -hmm. and it was interesting because I thought for sure I was having a heart attack. I, I thought, that's it. This is the end. And I happened to be living in the same city with my parents, and... I called my mom. I somehow was able to hold on to the phone because I've never been more afraid. I've never trembled so much. Uh, just pins and needles, freezing cold, but also hot. She came racing there. And by the time she was there, I was surprised that I was still alive. Mm -hmm. I had calmed down just a little bit, but my heart was still going so fast, just like, just like machine gun blast. And I went to the emergency room and... They told me pretty quickly that it was a panic attack, but they didn't tell me m much more about that. You know, you've had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And 
in those days, in my world anyway, there wasn't a lot of information about mental health and there wasn't a lot of information about anxiety. I received it as though, okay, well, I'm broken and I never want to have one of those again. I guess I didn't know to ask, you know, what do I do now? Um, I think the doctor said something like, you know, you need to find a way to calm down. I, I just left there feeling more afraid. And then that's when the anxiety that I didn't really know that I had turned into a disorder because my life was all about, well, what if that happens again? Right. And what if that happens when I'm on the air? And what if that happens when I'm in the subway? What if that happens when I'm driving my car? What if that happens when I'm watching a movie? And this is all I would think about when that was going to happen again. So, <laughs> I mean, fight or flight or freeze, just completely activated at all times. I think the only time I was calm is when I was in deep sleep. And that wasn't often because I didn't like to go to sleep. I didn't like to be alone. I haven't talked about it like in this depth for a long time. Mm -hmm. It was a very dark time. But I think had you known me, you wouldn't have known. But you would have seen someone that was really trying hard to be fun, you know, to be to be the party girl. I just didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be where there were lots of people and I wanted to be where I didn't have to think about it. So your question was what brought me to yoga? <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, you know, that you took us through that because that that story is I'm sure many can relate. And then the way you describe having this panic attack, the the physical symptoms, and then having that experience, then being terrified of having that experience again creates that loop. Mm -hmm. You know, that now you're stuck in this loop of having that panic attack and then creating a heightened anxiety that you're going to have another panic attack. Mm -hmm. That was my whole life. And probably now, had it been these times with, with Google, I might have searched panic attack and and figured out what it was and what it meant and what I could have done, but that that wasn't around. Well, I was really afraid to even look at it for a long time. I just never wanted to talk about it again. I really put my head in the sand. But I do remember thinking, okay, I need to figure out how to help myself. And I went to this bookstore and I went into the self-help section and I couldn't find anything about anxiety. I asked somebody and they said, okay, it's over there. It's in the psychological disorders <laughs> section. Yes. And that was really disheartening. Then I felt very broken. And mm -hmm. everything that I was reading felt pretty scary. Now, when I read about it, it's pretty common. And in fact, how many anxiety attacks would you say that you've seen in the emergency room? Over the course of my career, I would have to say thousands Hmm. It, it, it is such a common occurrence for people that they don't know what's happening when it happens and people don't talk about it. Like you described having shame um, or that you were broken and then that creates a sense that something's wrong with them and they don't want to share that, that experience with others. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely it. And Shame. Now, you and I have learned a lot about shame, especially through the writer Brene Brown. And this is how she describes it, where we just lose the capacity to be authentic because this is the biggest thing that's going on in our lives. And we don't know how to talk about it. And I'll be honest with you, I did talk about it with a friend and it was too heavy for her. You know, mm. it, it's heavy. You know, every moment I think I might die. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty heavy. <laughs> I, I just tried to ignore it for a long time. And the act of ignoring it and the choices that I was making and the way that I was coping, I can't shame myself out for those things because I did what I needed to do. But they were all, now I know, they were all just making it worse. And I lived like that for a long period of time. Sometimes it would get better. And sometimes it would be worse, but pretty much every night I would have that racing heartbeat and be afraid that the anxiety attack would come. Even though this is happening, I am somehow rising up the ranks in my radio career. I was hired in Toronto. And then I met my husband. He was working at the same radio station. I, I finally came clean about it to someone, which helped immensely. And that just shows when you can speak your truth 
and then you're seen and you're heard and it's reflected back to you, your experience, that in itself is very healing. And probably it was because I was ready to to talk about it, that I had the awareness that I didn't want to live like this anymore. And he encouraged me to go and get a bunch of tests just to make sure that nothing was wrong with my heart. That was a, a good road towards healing because my particular brand of anxiety was about catastrophizing what was going on with my physical body. So what yoga has also taught me is through those years, I was just very dissociated from my body. There wasn't a concept of what was my body hungry for. I you know, just ate because it tasted good or you know, it was it was on special at the happy hour. <laughs> I just and I just I really I probably just ate and drank just to numb. The more that um, my now husband was telling me that he thought that everything was going to be okay and I was going to be okay and we were going to face this and we were going to look into this, I started to believe that through his belief. Then you know, we got married. You know, fast forward um, three years. I have our daughter. That's when I really realized, all right, I have got to just lick this. I've got to be better for you. And by that time, we were living in San Diego, California. My husband was in radio as well. And so that career of his took him there. And at that time, Encinitas, a part of San Diego County, was one of North America's yoga capitals of the world. And I had heard for a long time that yoga and meditation were really good for anxiety. But the thought of going into a yoga studio was really frightening to me because it was foreign to me. I didn't grow up with any sort of spirituality or, or religion, anything organized like that. So the thought of going into a room with a bunch of strangers scared me because what if I had a panic attack in a yoga class? There's always that fear of, and I don't even know, looking back, what am I afraid of? You're just afraid that you're going to freak out, you're going to pass out, you're going to be trembling and and screaming, and, and, and there's this worry, there's this intense worry about what other people are going to think about that. <sighs> Maybe that's hard to relate with, but that was so real in my mind. Everyone can relate to that, can relate to what other people are thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that did run my life. And so I had a, a yoga studio all picked out, but I was afraid to go. And um, a friend of mine agreed to come. It actually felt really good to sit there. The first thing that the yoga teacher asked was, what do you need? That's what he asked the entire class. And mm -hmm. normally the voice in my head was so cruel and was telling me all these things that were wrong with me and how I was bad and how I wasn't measuring up and how I needed to be better. But this was a new voice that I heard. And right away in response to that question, the voice was, oh, I just want peace. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like I had set my first intention. That is what I got. 90 mm -hmm. minutes of actually having to pay attention to my body, where were my feet landing and where were my shoulders, 90 minutes of being told to breathe. And I'm sure that I hadn't taken a deep breath in probably over 10 years by that time. There was such a shift at the end of that class. I couldn't remember ever feeling so calm. It was, you know, I hear a lot of people who love yoga say this it wasn't like something new it was like a remembering it mm -hmm. was like going back to safety and wholeness it was like feeling whole and I knew that this was something that I needed to explore I started such a dedicated yoga practice hooked right away huh mm-hmm I was just ravenous when it came to to every book that I could find about yoga. And very soon, this brings you into philosophy that was also very new to me. And the other very transformational piece was, for me was when somebody told me that you are not your thoughts. And I was like, what? <laughs> these, what? Are, these are the thoughts that I'm thinking. This Isn't this my intuition? Isn't this 
how can this not be me? That just did not make sense to me. And then the more I learned and the more I understood and the more I came to know that our our thinking is patterned, uh, it's learned, it's it's beliefs that we internalized maybe even before we were verbal, left to run amok, the mind will just ruminate on these repetitive, limiting thoughts. And I was listening to each and every command so unconsciously to understand that I could witness those thoughts rather than just believe them all, have them cause me to make such harmful choices in my life, you know, to hide from opportunities, to hide from people, to hide from friendships, to hide who I was. My thoughts had terrorized me really for most of my life. So to know and to practice that I could simply observe them and then question them, it changed everything. It changed the way I had been thinking about my marriage, which was quite negative at that time. It 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 changed the way that I'd been thinking about my parents and about myself and about my role in this world. I questioned everything and it was so, so empowering. So what drew you from there to want to teach? Hmm. After a couple of years of really dedicated study and practice, I walked into my yoga studio in Encinitas, Willow's Yoga. It's not there anymore. This was in the heyday of Anusara Yoga in San Diego. And my teacher was having a teacher training. And I made that, it was a split decision. I think I think we can all relate to sometimes making a decision that completely surprises us that we had never expected to make. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity presents itself and there is a resounding yes in every and every bone in your body. And that's what it was like for me. And I went home and I shared that with my family and nobody could believe it. Uh, I'd always thought that I'd go back into radio. I was doing voice work. I was I was writing. This just was never in the cards. I could never imagine leading any sort of fitness class. But because these yoga teachers in San Diego were facilitating this practice that was so sacred to me, yeah, I wanted to learn more. And I didn't immediately think that I would teach. And this was such a beautiful training, this first training. My teacher was Sherry Shrek. She's um, an Anusara certified yoga instructor. And now you know, Anusara is no more. Um, but it was a beautiful, it is a beautiful form of yoga with very elegant alignment principles and very heart opening themes. And she had been one of the students of John Friend. She was a great, great teacher. I'm really honored to have learned from her. And it was a good seven-month training that include a very in-depth apprenticeship afterwards. And at the end of it, it was the studio owner who said, I'm going to give you a by donation class. You'll start next week. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, no, no, I'm not ready to teach. And, And she said, everybody says that, but you've just got to start teaching. The fact that the opportunity to teach yoga came into my life is what has helped me build the resilience against shame and anxiety. Because before I was hiding, yeah, I was still going on the air every single day and I was afraid of that. I was so afraid of having a panic attack in real time. You know, the panic attack that I did have on the air that happened during a song and I was able to recover when I when I was speaking live on the mic. So I I was continuing to take action. So I think I was building a bit of resilience, but this was even more intense because the first time I I stood there and presented a class, I could feel that familiar trembling of my body that then would bring on all of this shame. But I had some of the tools now and I had the insight that this this isn't about me. This is this is me facilitating this practice and just my love of sharing it and how important yoga was to me. It was just that much bigger than how afraid I was to speak in a room full of people. And and I just kept doing it since since that first class 10 years ago. I've been teaching several times every week. And now teaching is such a big part of my own personal practice. I absolutely love to share the tools that have come to me through all of these years of 
my intense studies in yoga and in meditation, in mindfulness, in the realms of personal development and yoga psychology. I just, um, like you and like so many others on this path, I have such a thirst for knowledge and it will be it will be a lifetime of learning. I will never, I will never stop learning. So how is it now for you? When it comes to anxiety? Yes. Mm-hmm. I surprise myself often. I'll be asked to step up and, and share in larger ways. Sometimes my first reaction is, how can I get out of this? But I'll say yes, and I'll do the best that I can. And I think that practice and repetition and continuing to show up is so strengthening. It's just like I heard somebody say, a psychologist say that there aren't really people that are afraid to fly. There are people that don't buy airline tickets. Mm -hmm. We stay afraid if we're not showing up. And I can relate with that because I had spent a lot of my life like that. But because I'm so devoted to the practice and to sharing the practice, I feel like it's a purpose. I feel compelled to show up. So I have gotten to the point where I can share this practice in the way that feels authentic to me and honestly let go of how it was received. I mean, I'm human and it's my fervent wish that every student has an experience that serves them or gets something out of the experience that serves them. But I can honestly say that I know it's not my responsibility. I know that I am offering in the best way that I can. When it comes to worry and anxiety, I have a lot of tools. I do have to wake up in the morning and practice. And that's just not a physical practice. I have to wake up in the morning and I have to look at my mind and what am I thinking and use uh, a lot of my other techniques in order to focus on thinking and emotions that serve me, that, that help to motivate me, that help me to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I can have the occasional skipping of a heartbeat. I watch myself go into fear, you know, oh, what's going on with my body? Mm -hmm. Every little sensation, if I let myself worry about it, could could be this big catastrophic disease, could befall me at any time. So I have, <laughs> I have to, I have to really, I have to watch that. So, I mean, I think that I'm probably a better person after a couple of hours of yoga practice and, and some meditation. And it helps me to look back on that time with even a little bit of gratitude, because even though it's hard to imagine living those years over again, if I hadn't struggled with that, I, I wonder if I would have been seeking for this kind of healing. Coming to yoga has enriched my life in every way possible in in my relationships in my awareness as a mother now that's that's probably the area in my life that brings me the most mind chatter and the most worry and negativity and guilt in my mind and i have to practice a lot around that but i'm just so grateful that that i have these tools to support the strains and the realities of the the modern day stressful life. Can you specifically offer our listeners maybe three tools that you use every day to decrease your anxiety? The ones that come to mind right away are just the simplest ones, but they were the practices that made the most of a difference right away. First is the breath. We cannot stress enough how powerful it is to completely breathe. During those 15 years where I really struggled with anxiousness, I'm sure that I wasn't taking any deep breaths unless I was in deep sleep. But I can't imagine that I was taking any conscious deep breaths. Knowing how nervous and fearful I was constantly, I know that my body was just this, this tight mass of, of tension and my breath probably would have been held. And in fact, I, you know, I, I watch myself when I get busy and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to achieve this, that, and the other thing, 
before the end of the day, I'll check in with myself and I'll notice that I'm holding my breath. So breathing fully and completely uh, and focusing on those long exhales can create such a shift. Taking breathing breaks throughout the day, starting our days with long, deep breaths. Deep breaths are my are great support system for myself and I try not to react when it comes to having conflict in, in my partnership and, and in my role as a mother. Before taking a deep breath, it starts to change things. And something that was very instrumental in helping me to feel stronger and calmer was feeling my feet on the ground. I was taught that in a yoga class in standing postures. We were taught to build our standing postures from the ground up and to pay a lot of attention as to how we were rooting and planting our feet and to pay a lot of attention to feel firm and stable. And I know that that work that I did on the yoga mat was making me feel stronger and more stable and able to hold myself on a firmer foundation in my life. I know that for sure. And then I would practice it. Something that would make me really nervous in those days is when my daughter, Grace, was really little. I would drop her off at kindergarten and I'd be standing in a group with a lot of other moms. And that was very, it was it was kind of triggering back to those junior high days. And when I would feel that familiar shame and nervousness rush in, I would send all of my awareness to the soles of my feet. And I would feel how that they were connected to the earth. And I would breathe deep. And I would imagine that I could grow roots. And I would imagine that I could inhale some nourishing, earthy energy up into my solid, strong legs, like really feeling supported. And I noticed, you know, and maybe you notice this, Amy, when you're talking with a group of people and, and especially if you're acquaintances or if you're meeting somebody for the first time, most people seem to have a little bit of that nervous energy around them when they're first mm-hmm. talking to one another. And I find that when I focus on planting my feet in those interactions and breathing deeply, you can create a shift in the whole communication. There's a shift in the other person as well. And number three learning to be present. This term is so bandied about be present, be here now that it can lose some of its power. It's powerful. In anxiety, all I was thinking about is worrying about having the next panic attack or worrying about what I said or how I acted. I was very rarely, if ever, aware of what was going on around me, of the colors and the sights and the scents and the way it felt to have my body in that moment. And when I learned how to do that, I learned that for the most part, in the right here, right now, it's okay and I'm safe. There isn't an immediate threat to my personal safety. That was a game changer. So I would practice that constantly. All the ways that I teach now, that you teach now to become present. I learned that, well, our body is always present. And if you do feel your feet on the ground, if you do feel the areas of your body that have a lot of sensation, like the palms of your hands or the sensation you can feel in your face, or feeling and watching your breath, using your breath as a focal point for this chaotic monkey mind, all of that was so helpful. And when I would bring myself in the present moment, then I could ask, okay, what's going on? What am I thinking? And what am I feeling? And that practice helped me to reconnect with my physical body because for a really long time when I felt anxious, my body just felt like this very dangerous place to live in. It felt like a a ticking time bomb, as a matter of fact. Those are my three favorite tips. There's a lot more that I could say. And and gosh, when you and I teach together, you know, part of what we say that we teach is this vast toolbox of techniques because I have a lot in my arsenal depending on on what I need and depending on what's going on. And I just love it when we share them together. That's what this podcast is going to be all about is sharing how healing can come through the paths of yoga and, and Ayurveda and all the other teachings and practices that have come to us as you and I have continued to seek. 
And that seeking helped us find each other. Right. Two years ago, we met in a somatic coaching class in Northern California. And actually, there was such a healing situation that happened when we met there, Amy. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. We were paired up and we were practicing some some coaching skills. And one of our colleagues, Laura Hauer, I, I can't remember why, but I was sharing that that bullying story because I think through that course and through this work, I've started to realize that it's something that I probably need to shed some light on, take it out of the shadows and bring some compassion to all players involved and bring some acknowledgement to my inner 13-year-old who honestly thought she might die if she went mm-hmm. to school the next day and honestly thought she might die when she saw her name written on on the lockers and yeah. that she should go back to hell where she came from. And uh, so I was talking about that situation with with one of our colleagues and she looked at me and all she said was, that shouldn't have happened to you. Mm. And it's like, that's never been re- reflected back to me, you know? And, and I, oh, Amy, I see myself doing it with my own daughter. I see myself when she shares something painful, I see myself um, wanting to show her the lighter side or, or, or give her give her a tool or somehow take her pain away. And there's so much power in just holding space for for the, what that person just shared and saying, you know, that sh- that shouldn't happen to you. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I remember another one of our classmates, you were sharing part of that story. And I remember another one of our classmates, Sandy, saying that if she had been there, she would have kicked the other girl's ass for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's what I remember. I remember she was enraged and appalled and she was ready to go fight and on your behalf. And I loved that, you know. (laughs) I'm sure there's other people who who would go through a situation that I did and that would make them stronger or they would be able to fight back or talk back or brush it off of their shoulders. But it was just, you know, my particular constitution and what was going on at home and that I somehow believed them. I somehow thought, well, you must think this for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Always learning. Yes, for sure. So yeah, we met at this um, somatic coaching training in Northern California, and it just seemed to be, for me, a a kind of a divine intervention that I was even in that room at that time, in that place, because it was in Northern California. I'm from Ohio. I happened to be working out in California at the time and was drawn to this training that I really didn't even know why I was taking. I thought, yeah, that sounds good. Sign me up. It started in two weeks and and it has changed, you know, so many things for me. I met you, I changed careers, I, it changed the path of my life. And I was driving back from California, driving across the country and I was in the desert, you know, and if you've ever driven through the desert, there are these long expanses of just beauty and nothingness at the same time. And I had a lot of time to think. I was in the car by myself. My husband was driving in the car in front of me. So I just had this idea that I wanted to work with you. Hmm. And we didn't know each other real well. And I don't even think we were paired off to work together weekly. Mm -mm. I think we had just worked together the one time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really was intrigued by you. I felt this peace around you when I was around you and you had this sense of like quiet observation is what I was picking up on and you seemed very put together (laughs) and and I felt very unput together at the time I felt very scattered or tattered Hmm. um, during this time of my life and so I was very drawn to you because you seemed very put together as I was driving through the desert um, I just had this one of those moments 
um, where something comes to me out of the blue, and I'm sure people can relate when they've had those aha moments. I knew that something else was out there for me to do besides what I was doing at the time. And I didn't know what it looked like yet, but I knew I wanted to really help people on a on a different level than I was doing. And you came right to the front of my mind and I said, I want to work with her. And I wonder if she would want to work with me. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and I think I texted you. I don't think I called you. Or, did I call you? I think you said, but I want to talk to you. And then we, yeah. we booked a time for a call. And it was just really out of the blue. It just struck me. I want to work with her and I don't know what that looks like, but I want to, I think that we could make a great partnership because we were different from each other. And so I did. And I reached out to you and I said, Hey, if you ever want to partner on an offering or a workshop or a retreat, I offer Ayurveda practices. And I think that would be a great balance to what you're offering. And I just put it out there. Um, and it was one of those moments where I, I just kind of had a brave moment of reaching out to somebody and saying, Hey, do you want to work with me? And, you know, I don't have those moments of fearlessness all the time, but that was one of them. And I think your response was absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I can't even remember what I was doing. I was cleaning my daughter's bathroom. I love to, <laughs> I, I love to clean while talking on the phone. And right away it was like, yes, because it's so funny. I've never, I haven't heard this story about your first impressions of me at all. And when people say that they feel peace around me or they feel that I'm so grounded, it just, it, <laughs> it blows my mind. And also it feels very heartening because I do a lot of work in order to cultivate that. And at that particular training, being in a group of women, of 30 women that were there in that room, I was watching myself be triggered. And I was watching myself ask myself, oh, should I reach out? So should I go make friends? And the fact that you picked up this sort of cautious observation or a calm observation, that is exactly what I was. I decided that I'm I'm just there for myself and I'm not going to force anything and I'm going to completely open my heart and drop everything that I think that I know and just take it all in. And when I did work with you that one time, the experience that I had is that you're very grounded and you are. I'm so glad that I immediately agreed and that we planned something and we just put one foot in front of the other. We took an action and we taught our first retreat together last year. And immediately we knew we had something special and that we are a great complement to one another because of your grounding and your skill set of, of planning and organizing and being very detail oriented. And I tend to be like just thoughts and 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 creativity and it it just it comes together beautifully so i'm so if i haven't said it lately i'm so appreciative of the thought that you had in the middle of the desert and the fact that you followed through and you made that call me too i am too and i don't really know where it came from because i as probably other people can relate i can hide and not ask for opportunities because I feel like, oh, they wouldn't want to work with me or they, why would they want to do that? And this, I just felt very strongly about just do it. Just ask her, just see what she says. What's the worst thing? She, the worst thing is she'll say no and you won't die. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is the conversation I was having in the desert. And so I, right then I texted you or called you and, and that was it. Yeah. I think that the tagline to our offerings together should be how not to hide. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I we, love that. <laughs> because that's when I when I hear us talking and I think about what we teach, that's that's a lot of what we're teaching is how to step into who we want to be or, or who we truly are. I know that everyone has days where it feels easier to hide and it is. And we have a lot of opportunities to hide. We have a lot of things to take our attention and to stop us from 
from stepping into our lives in a powerful way and speaking our truth and telling people who we are. Because, and we know this now, it runs deep in our wiring. Shame exists because back in, in the day, it helped to keep us safely within our tribal groups. And we had to make sure that we were in good standing with that group because if we were cast out, then we were vulnerable. We were vulnerable to the elements and to wild animals. That's deep in our wiring, but it doesn't serve us very well in our modern life because there's so many triggers and there's so many messages telling us that we are not enough and that we shouldn't show up in that way. And I think it's the work of our lives to just learn how to be authentic, learn how to create a sense of belonging within our own skin, And then it's easier to have that sense of belonging with others. And that will be a lifelong process for me. Me too, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an honor to be in this process with you, Amy. And for me as well. Like it has been the greatest joy of my life to do these weekends and these workshops with you. Mm -hmm. And we're just getting started. Our next date is coming up in late January in Seattle. And then we have many other dates in the works. And so that those dates will be available on on each of our websites, lisadumasyoga.com and amypruitt.com. And we'll, we'll chat about those in subsequent podcasts as we continue to get to know one another and continue to share the tools that are so sacred and special to both you and I. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.